You're listening to Minding the Brain with Dr. Kim Hellemans and Dr. Jim Davies. Episode 15, Multitasking. When you're doing more than one thing at a time, we call it multitasking. It sometimes feels like you're actually getting more done in less time when you're multitasking. But are you? So today we're going to look at the science behind multitasking. Jim, is multitasking good or bad? It's a complicated question, and there's a lot of research uh, that says a lot of different things, but some people definitely say that it is harmful to your effectiveness in general or your productivity. So a really good example is talking on the phone while you're driving makes your driving worse, but also um, it's different from when you're talking to someone in a car because that person has a shared context, so they know to shut up like when the traffic gets hairy or whatever, but somebody you're talking to on the phone doesn't know that and they might like demand answers and keep talking about something complicated even when your your mind is otherwise occupied. Oh, I've always wondered why the science behind that because it does it does appear as though if you are like on a phone call while you're driving, which is illegal now, but it wasn't before, uh, it is much more distracting than if somebody is, is sitting right next to you. So I've always wondered what the science was behind that. And what you're saying is that if somebody is next to you, they're also aware oh, there's a red light or there's a heavy traffic and the person on the phone wouldn't be aware of those things. So the conversation would be more um, like one-sided. Does that make Yeah, sense? you don't even notice it, but when you're talking to somebody else in the car, uh, the conversation will just stop when you you know yeah. there's something hairy going on on the road, and then you'll just pick it up later. And and anybody who's you know this is some advice if you're talking to somebody who is driving, if they just suddenly stop talking, don't be like hello, like you know don't be obnoxious <laughs> about it because they're driving. <laughs> they right. might need the attention. And yeah, so the, it is it is legal now to use uh, a hands free, right? So a lot of cars now have like Bluetooth that you can connect with, and then that that is legal, correct? So it doesn't really make any sense though because. I mean, and I'm not saying whether it should be legal or, legal or illegal, but whether or not you're holding the phone to your head or not makes no difference at all. It's not that it's it's not the holding the phone to your head that makes driving with talking on the phone dangerous. It's the conversation. I mean, you know, you can drive with a steering wheel with one hand and use a gear shift. We don't make gear shifts illegal, even though you're steering with one hand. Uh, and it's the same thing with the phone. It's the conversation that's the distraction. So the whole, the whole hands-free, uh, non-hands-free distinction in the law, I think, is uh, not really backed up by science. Have they done those studies? Yeah, it doesn't make it doesn't make a difference. Strange. So talking about multitasking, I was on Princess Street once. Remember Princess Street in Kingston? Oh yes, I do. So uh, Kim and I both, in previous parts of our careers, been in uh, Kingston, Ontario. Anyway, there's the main drag there is called Princess Street, and it's this long hill down to Lake Ontario. Anyway, one time I, I saw this guy skateboarding down the street, talking on the phone and smoking all at the same time. Wow. So he was, and so this guy was like totally multitasking. But like, as you might predict, he was smoking very badly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so oddly, <laughs> coincidentally, also in Kingston, also on Princess Street, I once saw a guy uh, riding a bike from the beer store with a 2-4 <laughs> balanced on his handlebars and you know, obviously yeah. not not riding his bike with any hands. <laughs> so I would I would actually confess to being somebody who you know, I might say I might pride myself on my ability to multitask. So I'm wondering are there actually any instances when multitasking can be helpful? Well, there are I'm I'm nervous to say this because uh, and I'll tell you why after, but about one or two percent of the population actually is really good at multitasking, but 
Uh, and that's very that's very low, right? So are they all you know, women? That I don't know if oh, there the gender differences are definitely overstated. Okay. Um, so there might be some, but they're not they're not really big. All right. Um, but they also found that people are very very likely to think that they are one of those one or two percent. So you are probably not one of those people. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so some people can multitask, but um, you should assume that you are not. Because in general, people think that they're good. Everybody thinks they're pretty good at multitasking. Or not everybody, but lots of people think they're good at multitasking. So you can't just be like, oh, I'm one of the exceptions. Please don't think that, right? Right. But there are situations where multitasking can have some benefits. Uh, and even talking on the phone while you're driving. So I found a study that showed that talking on the phone... Uh, if you're on like a long monotonous drive, like you're on some like two lane highway that's going all the way across Texas or Ontario or something like that, uh, the phone, talking on the phone can help you stay alert and awake, actually. So that's pretty cool. Hmm. You know, and there are, uh, multitasking can also help. There's another study where um, they actually they had students listen to a boring lecture and they made they let some students doodle and they told other students they couldn't doodle. And it turns out that the doodlers retained more of the lecture. Yeah, obviously that's not in one of our lectures, but um, I can say that I, when I was at <clears throat> McGill, I would actually I would have a crossword puzzle underneath my lecture notes. And when things got a little bit that you know, the the lecture took a little turn, I would just go quickly glance at my crossword puzzle and solve something and then return back. So All right, that is very different from doodling. Is it? Why? Oh yeah, no, because yeah. that's a cognitive task. Eh. So, so you, when you were thinking about the crossword puzzle answer, you were not attending to the lecture and you can't process it. However, I see. doodling is, I mean, I'm not talking about like doing a full sketch. I'm talking about do, like doodling is yeah. a very specific activity. It's a very low cognitive load activity. Um, and here's, here's what happens. If you don't allow someone to doodle during a boring lecture or fiddle or whatever, then they are so bored that their mind completely disengages. So they'll start thinking about mm. something like absolutely unrelated and they'll just get lost in some reverie. If they're doodling, though, it seems to be this is my interpretation of it. Mm. <clears throat> it seems to be that the, that that your mind is thirsty or hungry for a certain amount of stimulation. And if the lecture isn't providing it, the combination of the lecture and the doodling does. And so that's how you're able to maintain some attention to the lecture, because you are also you're also occupying the like sort of the free clock cycles in your mind. Right. It's almost like you're right? you're providing just enough stimulation to keep engaged, but not so much that it's distracting with a yeah, heavy, exactly. like a highly more cognitively demanding task. Like, say, a student who would be surfing uh, Facebook or Instagram while they're in lecture. Right. Like that. That would not count. Absolutely. Yeah, that totally yeah. doesn't count. And I remember I took a class that I <laughs> I took a class in grad school about how to be a teacher or how to be a teaching assistant or something. And I, th I detested this class and resented it so much that I just openly read a novel the entire time. <laughs> with no attempt to hide it. And then and then we were supposed to write this uh, a paper that was sort of summarizing the class. And I called the paper. This class sucks with sucks in italics. <laughs> and did you get a grade? Yeah, I passed it. It was taught by a fellow grad student. <laughs> Only you, Jim. Uh, yeah, so, I'm, I'm much nicer now than I was. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is that you know multitasking seems like it it it's not great, but in some instances it's good. So 
can you kind of resolve that? But there are some psychologists who say you can't do it at all. Right? So that's kind of weird, right? So some say you can do it and it's bad and some say you can't do it at all. So what's going on there? Now, what a lot of people might call multitasking is actually rapid task switching, which means mm -hmm. that you are switching between one task and another really rapidly. Okay. And, and so the difference between actual multitasking and rapid task switching is sometimes unknown to the person doing it, but psychologically it's a real thing. So if you answer, let's say you're like texting with somebody while you're watching a movie. This is a really good example of task switching because as you are composing texts and reading mm -hmm. texts or whatever, you really cannot attend to the words and the, the content of what's being said. So this is why it's so annoying when somebody, you're trying to talk to somebody and they like pull out their phone and start texting. They, they cannot hear you, mm -hmm. you know, while they are attending to it. And they may think that they are, but they're actually rapidly switching back and forth between one so, and another. So, but what's wrong with that? If you're going back and forth, is there... I don't know. Well, to me, that seems like you're... it would be fine, except that there's a cost associated with task switching, right? So yeah, you're right. If you could just you know do it rapidly, it wouldn't matter mm -hmm. if you chatted for five minutes and then texted for five minutes, or you interspersed them every two seconds. But there te there is a cost, uh, usually you know with time drop in performance when there's a task switch. So what what exactly is that cost then? What are we talking about? Like, is it time? Is it mental state what's what's the yeah it's time and accuracy and the time the time estimates range between 200 milliseconds and 25 minutes uh what that's <laughs> so funny seems like a it broad kind of, range <laughs> i know isn't that ridiculous like there's this kind of range but there i like i found two studies and these were the estimates right so <laughs> i'll try to i I, un, I had to like do a little digging because this was just this seems just ridiculous. I mean, we get ranges in psychology, but if it's between 200 milliseconds and 25 minutes, something's wrong, right? Yeah, that is a long, it's a large confidence interval. Yeah, so let's talk about the 200 millisecond findings. Okay, this this kind um, task switching costs of this magnitude are usually found by cognitive psychologists studying people doing very rapid task switching. Uh, of the following kind. So I read one study where they were showing people faces. Some were happy, some were sad, some were male, some were female. And they just keep showing faces and you have to hit these buttons. But every once in a while they would switch from you have to identify the gender of the face to you have to identify the facial expression and back. Mm. And under so so he no so pay you know think about what you're doing here. You're looking at a screen, you're looking at a bunch of faces and you're just switching what part of the face you have to attend to. Right. This is where they find the 200 second, 200 millisecond task switching cost, okay? And the an accuracy cost too. But even the small cost can reduce productivity by 40%, right? So like trying to study while watching a movie or something, you know, because, you know, you're, you're, you're switching a lot. How? Like, how is this happening? So an hour, let's say you spend an hour on one thing and then you spend an hour on another thing, right? You'll get a task switching cost in the middle of like between those two hours. But since you only have one, it's really minor. Okay. It's much uh, less than the time you're spending on so each like, task. But if it's you, additive, if, right? Is that yeah, what you're it's kind of additive, right? Yeah. So, you know, every time you switch costs, there's every time you switch tasks, there's a cost. But if you don't do it very often, it, it's pretty negligible. But if you're doing it every few seconds, then it can really interfere with performance. And if, like, if you're doing something like driving or running down a mountain, or something mm. like that it can be it can be dangerous right mm. you know one um 
one way to think about it is like losing money. Like if, if it costs you like a nickel or a quarter to switch costs, if you do it, you know, a few times a day, it's not much. But if you're doing it every few seconds, you got to rearrange your budget. So how, what about the 25-minute measure? Where's that from? Mm. So those come from a totally different field, right? So, the, so the, you know, looking at a screen and attending to the face in different ways, that's like a cognitive psychology way to look at it. This 25-minute thing comes from uh, off, like measurements of people actually in offices and getting interrupted. Okay, so... I feel um, like this is my life, but go on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Kim's Kim is uh, at the at the time of this recording anyway. Uh, <laughs> she is the <laughs> the chair of the neuroscience department, and uh, my door and that, is open and interruptus maximus. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. She has it, and she when her door's open, she's probably getting interrupted all the time. And lots of people have jobs where they're interrupted constantly, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they they have done studies to see how often people get interrupted, and it is constantly it is constant and it's even more constant if you have an open office uh, open concept kind of office where everyone has like cubicles or something if you have a door you can shut it does make a difference right or like the email pinging right i'm sure that's a big issue right like so if you're sitting working yep. on a document and like outlook will show you a little window will pop up when you have a new email message right and if you're attending you have that to shut that, off i hope uh yeah <laughs> No, you really should shut that off. <laughs> I, okay, I you, that. Next time you're in my office, you can come shut it off for me because I don't know. Yeah, how. okay, I will do that because <laughs> you should not be, um, yeah, yeah it, it is really bad for your productivity. And this is exactly why, right? So, you know, you might be working on a budget and you're trying to keep all these numbers in your head and then some coworker comes by and wants to tell you about like what their kids did at camp. Uh, so they've done estimations of how much this costs. And these interruptions have been estimated to cost 650 Billion dollars a year to the United States alone. So, whoa. Yeah. So, you know, if you add up all the interruptions of all the office workers everywhere, like the emails and the chatting and the this and the that, it, it, there's a huge, huge cost. But now we're in the, these like the, the new trend is all these open office, right? The open concept office where like some, some offices don't even have the cubicles. They're just literally like, I know. And they're couches. very, they're very cool and they yeah. look good. And, but they are very bad for productivity, and there's never been a study hmm. arguing. I mean, it, every study shows that it's, it takes a hit to productivity. You talk to people who work there, they wear headphones, sometimes without even music in it, just to keep people from talking to them, and so they don't right. hear what's going on. It's terrible for productivity. So why do people do it? Well, it looks cool, and it's cheap. Yeah. It is cheaper to have a bunch of people stuffed in a bullpen than to get a bunch of offices with closing doors. But cheaper right? than six hundred and fifty billion dollars a year. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's, sure, that's, the, that's the question. Must, it's probably a very short. Yeah. It, it is a. It's a short term savings, and the long term cost is often unappreciated. Right. Yeah. So this has been studied by. Um, there are a lot of great studies by a woman I've discovered, uh, Gloria Mark, and so mm -hmm. what she found is that it takes on average about twenty five minutes to get back to task. Right. So this like if you get a phone call or, you know, you get pinged with an email that captures your interest, Kim. Right. Yeah. You, you, like it, it, it. This is something you want to read right now and you go read it. Empirically speaking, meaning when we just look at how long it takes people to get back to their original task, it's about 25 minutes. No, and some of them and some of them never get back to it. When you say get back, do you mean like physically like get back, like get to that document and start working on it again or get into the right cognitive space to be productive in working in that document. I believe this study was just getting back to working on the document. That's what they wow. could measure. Right. 
Wow. Well, think about this. Like, you, let's think about you. You're doing something maybe you don't even want to do it that bad. You're, you're doing yeah. some part of your job that you don't like. Mm-hmm. Okay. You get an email mm-hmm. from me, which you love to get because it's probably about the podcast. <gasps> Jim's emailed me. <laughs> so you read it, yeah. right? And yeah. then you're in your email and you see three other emails and mm, you don't, you don't really like the task you're working on. So you're ta- next thing you know, 25 minutes have gone by or an hour has gone by or it's time to go home and you never got back to your task. So that's the... So you can see how this is a different setup than like looking at the faces thing. I feel like right now I'm in like this is like therapy because I feel like you're explaining my life. Anyway, <laughs> go yeah, on. <laughs> you know, and, and so I'll talk later about like how I check email, which, yeah. you know, you and yeah, yeah, you, you and know. our listeners might want to model. Um, but that's, you know, that's that's where we get the um, the, the differences there. Right. So it, it and then the same um the same like field of study, it even takes you a, over a minute, 68 seconds they've, they've measured, for you to even remember what you were doing. <laughs> so you get interrupted, right? Yes, like somebody comes I by and says, oh, do you want to buy Girl Scout cookies or whatever? Yeah. And then it, even after you intend to get back to what you're doing, you're like, what was I doing? Right? And I find the more overloaded I am cognitively, like the more things that I've got on my mind that I need to be working on, the longer it takes for me to remember and go back to what I was doing before because I, I'm I, there's just so many processes that are that are that I'm attending to. Let's say that I, sometimes I sit there I'm like, what was I doing? <laughs> I literally will yeah. say, what was yeah. I doing? <laughs> right, right, and that's that's what this is about, right? Yeah. So you so, know, in the cognitive psychology thing, when you're switching from gender to facial expression, you, there's no question you're told what to do. Yeah. So you don't need a minute. It's you know, it just takes right. a couple yeah. you know, seconds. So. Tell me, are there instances then then we when we should be multitasking, or are there specific instances when we shouldn't be? Yeah, for so when for what most people think of as multitasking, they shouldn't be doing it. Um, mm-hmm. So, like listening to your favorite music while you study, or really trying to chat with because that's yeah. what all, like all the students do. You look go in the library; they all got their headphones in listening. To well, music. we don't know what they're listening to. Oh, they could be listening okay. to like. Uh... No, no, no. I'm saying your favorite music. Um... So it's a, if you're going to listen to, I'll get to that. But like, if you're yeah. going to listen to music, it needs to be it needs to be non-cognitive. Like the, the listening of the music needs to not uh, uh, capture occupy. your attention. Yeah, I got it, it. you have to be able to listen to it without your. T- it's a song you love. If it's an album you're hooked yeah, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're trying to study for a boring like chemistry test i'm sorry chemistry but you're trying to study for something that you're bored with maybe you love chemistry you know you're you're gonna your mind is just gonna go to the thing you like which is the music right Mm, okay um so basically the advice is that like since multitasking negative has negative effects and it's real and people don't really realize that it's happening people think they can multitask but and they don't realize that they're suffering performance deficits in general you should try to avoid when you're trying to be productive try to avoid interruptions and only do one thing at a time requiring require requiring cognitive thought okay so you know you can breathe and walk and talk at the same time like hopefully no, like what well, you know when psychologists say you can't multitask i like to snarkily say well you can't walk and chew yeah. gum like yeah. you know so of course you can but very practiced things like swimming or walking or uh, right. breathing, you know, well, those, those are kind of all things. lower brain regions, right? Like so when you either higher, yeah, those yeah, highly practiced, it's basal ganglia. So it's not requiring a lot of cortical attention. That's the basal what I'm ganglia is lo- lower brain region. 
Well, yeah. Well, it's 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 um, it's not part of your brainstem necessarily, but it is a subcortical structure. Right. Yeah. Right. So you might suffer a minor performance deficit if you are like. <laughs> I find that like if I'm walking with somebody and we're having a, like an intellectual conversation, sometimes we might actually stop walking when the conversation gets particularly heavy. Mm. And then we'll, we'll get past that part of the conversation and then we'll both just start walking again, right? Mm. So I think that even when you're walking and talking, there's a slight uh, mm. performance deficit. And like running, right? Like you can't do complex cognitive thought while you're sprinting like no, e no. even though sprinting is is a relatively lower brain thing so sure anyway okay. you know, that's that's the basic advice for that um okay so when something requires thinking don't do anything else that is right okay so now i know i, I you know i've known you now you know eight eight years ten years and i know that you have a method where you you order your day in like 30 minute intervals, correct? So you have, right. you switch tasks every half hour. Can you explain yeah. to our listeners a little bit more about this method? Sure. It's going to sound a little crazy, but I have a spreadsheet and I've been using the spreadsheet for over 10 years and it's just got every half hour of my waking day in one column and then what I'm going to do for every half hour in the next column. And every single morning, pretty much every single morning for the last 10 years, I have plan like the first thing I do in the morning is plan what I'm going to be doing every every half hour. Um, and uh, I do this and some people think that that sounds like multitasking because a lot of people think that for most of the things they do, they need a large uninterrupted mm. block of time. Yep, that's actually not found to be true, but okay. they think that so they, they actually think that I'm like, I must be have the most scattered. Um, work life because I'm, I'm switching tasks so often, but every half hour really isn't that often. And part of it, and I consider it focused work. And the reason is because I don't do anything else during that half hour. So I'm not check. I like my email window is hidden and right. I do not, I check email like maybe like while I'm switching tasks, I'll just like glance at it to make sure nothing's on fire. Mm -hmm. But more often I check the email when I need to send an email. And in fact, I have a, a button on my browser to send an email so I can actually compose and send an email without seeing my inbox because I know how distracting the inbox can be, right? So smart. Um, but now, so, but what happens if you're, you're like in a groove working on something? Like I know sometimes if I'm working on a, a paper or something like a lecture, you kind of get into that flow, right? The, the, you know, cognitive flow where you're, you're feeling like really productive or you're, you're reading a paper, let's say, that's giving you some information um, for your writing, and boom, the you know it's two thirty, and you got to switch. What do you do? Usually, I will switch, but I will make exceptions. Like I'm not a complete slave to these half hours, but I do try to stick to them. Um, the thing about like getting in the groove is if it's something. Here's the thing, like. You and I, for example, have so many things to do, mm -hmm. so many important things to do that if you work for more than half an hour on one thing during the day, something else is suffering. So there is an opportunity cost right. to, so the, the thing that you had scheduled for your next half hour, how important was it, right? That you're right. not working on it, right? I like to me, if I'm really into something, if I stop at 2.30, then I, th the next day when I pick it up again, I'll probably be still in the groove. Really? Nice. Okay. But I, you know, I, you know, if I'm like almost done with the paper and it'll take 15 more minutes, yeah. I might, you know, I, I might do that. Um, but the thing is like, 
um, the, the stuff that you end up getting in a groove on are usually not the things that you need to force yourself to do anyway. You know, mm. and well, it so, might be the next half hours that if you're avoiding the thing you're supposed to be doing in your next yeah. half hour, that's problematic, too. Right. Right. And, and this technique, it seems to be it's probably beneficial in terms of motivation. Right. So if you only have you only have to work on it for half an hour, you'll probably be more motivated. Oh, absolutely. Than, yeah. 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 So if, if you dread working on it, yeah. then you can just tell yourself, well, I only have to work on it for a half an hour. I can do that. And do you, know, you, you also you, follow the eat the frog method? So you put the hardest things first. I don't know if our listeners are aware of that, that phrase, eat the frog, which is yeah. a lot of, you know, motivational productivity experts will say, tackle the hardest thing you have to do first, because then it's done, right? Then so you're, you're I, not- I think there's some wisdom to that, but the, I do it a little differently. I, I do the most important things first. And sometimes the most important things are the, the most hardest, fun. most challenging. No, oh, well, sometimes, yeah. usually they're oh, not, I actually. I mean, to me, the most important thing in my life um, that I need to work on, like my marriage is good, so, <laughs> you know, the, the, so I don't need to like put hours a day into like making the marriage better. But, you know, it's very important to me, of course. But, the, you know, I is writing books. And luckily, I like writing books. But it's also the most, it's also the easiest thing to procrastinate because there's no deadline and it takes forever and it's so far away anyway. So, yeah, I have to work on it every single morning. And I don't do the hardest thing. I do I do the most important thing. Hmm. And I just make sure that hard things are done. I actually plan harder things more according to time of day. And I want to do another episode on when we should do things. Hmm. Um, but uh, working on difficult, challenging cognitive tasks when you're in a slump, which for most people is between like 1 o'clock and 5 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, is usually not a good idea. So um, if you're going to work on something challenging, uh, you know, well, you might have a job where everything you do is kind of of equal importance, like you're like doing sales or you're doing this or that. In that case, yeah, eat the frog. Mm. Get it done right away or at least work on it a little bit. Uh, and then the rest of the day will, will feel like peaches, you know. And, and I want to distinguish my half hour method because some people might be familiar with something called the Pomodoro method. I was just going to say because I use more the Pomodoro method, right. which was actually uh, a shout out to Cheryl Harris Simchuk, our colleague in psychology. She was the person to, that attuned me to this methodology. And yeah, go you, you yeah. explain. So the Pomodoro method is uh, you, you were supposed to break everything, I think, into 25 minute chunks. And you're supposed to estimate... 20-minute chunks. Okay. So you're supposed to estimate how many Pomodoros, Pomodoros like a unit of time, 20 minutes. How many Pomodoros is this task going to take? And then you schedule your day like, oh, doing this is going to take me four hours. So I'm going to schedule this many Pomodoros for it. My my method is subtly different in that you you don't work on something for four hours. You work on every, You work on everything every day for only half an hour each. Mm-hmm. And you don't intend to get anything done. So that mm. might sound strange, but to me, I know that people are so bad at estimating task completion times that they are just setting themselves up for extreme disappointment and frustration. If you think it's going to take you an hour, it's probably not going to take you an hour. So what I do is I say, I'm going to work on this project for half an hour. Hmm. I'm not I'm not saying I'm going to get anything in particular done. I'm just going to work on it for half an hour. And eventually it gets done. And for the most part, I don't worry about deadlines. Because I just put things in my project list, they get worked on every day, and they're done way before deadline. 
So I use the the Pomodoro technique when I have like quite the opposite. Again, I when I've got like a four hour day, like today after we're we're done recording, I have. I've, I've blocked the rest of my day because I got a ton of stuff I need to get done. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll do the Pomodoro. I'll, I've, I've got a to-do list and I'll say, work on this for 20 minutes, uh, work on that for 20 minutes, and, and, and I will switch between them. When but if I, you're switching every 20 when minutes, I don't it's, it's have, sort of my Yeah, method, you know? when I don't have the huge block of time, I actually do something quite different, which is I'll just kind of tackle my to-do list and when I get stuck on something, so let's say I'm working on a paper or let's say I'm working on a lecture and I have this moment where I'm kind of like, I don't know what to do next, I'll task switch. So I'll go to my email and I'll, I'll tackle a bunch of my email and then I'll hit an email that I'm like, oh, I don't know what I want to do right now with this and I'll go back. So I'll go back and forth and I'll jockey between a number of different tasks, uh, but I'll never break productivity. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, so, sounds, that so sounds reasonable. Is that, I mean, that, you're probably letting yourself incubate a little bit on the problem that you were unable to solve. So sometimes like yeah. uh, you get stuck, you get stuck somewhere and uh, sometimes you need a break or you need to put your mind in a different state so that you are able to see a solution when you return to that thing, right? Yeah. The problem is for, and if you're, if you're able to make it work, that's really great. But I, I will say that there is an issue that a lot of people, when they get stuck, they just avoid it and they never come back, right? And so mm -hmm. sometimes you really need to, like let's say let's say you got a large project and you don't know what the next step is. Mm -hmm. You might be you might be very tempted not to schedule any time for it because you don't know what to do. When really what you should be doing is dedicating half an hour or twenty minutes or something to just figuring to out what the next step is. Like yeah. that is work that just has to get done. And if you procrastinate it too much, you really put yourself in in trouble. You know, all kinds of tips. This is yeah. great. So you know, let's go back to multitasking. You know, yeah. if, if if something is really easy and the other thing is hard you might be able to do it at the same time and there are studies like the doodling study um but also like listening to music while you exercise does make you exercise more right maybe mm -hmm. it's distracting you from the pain of exercise or something um and, you know but, sometimes yeah what about music with like lyrics while you're exercising it's fine yeah but you uh -huh. know um really with with you want to you most people don't enjoy exercise intrinsically <laughs> so they they uh, will be better off being entertained while they do it. So I know some people who only let themselves watch TV if they're on their stationary bike or treadmill yeah. or something, right? And that right. that's uh, for that called temptation bundling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's and that works because, you know, you are uh, well, you're associating something nice with something that you maybe don't want to do. And it distracts you from like that. You're, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I want to get mm -hmm. off this thing. I want to, you know, uh, you just get engaged with Game of Thrones or whatever. And you're, you know, you're good. Right, but and, not necessarily with something that's requiring much more of a cognitive load, like studying, right? Right. Yeah, you don't. So, yeah. you know, if you listen, if you, you know, if you're so bored studying, you might want to listen to maybe like instrumental music or something, but it can't be something that really engages you very much. Mm -hmm. Programming computers, uh, listening to instrumental music can sometimes help, um, you know, nothing, nothing with lyrics. So now like, we know that people often listen to podcasts while they're doing other things, right? Like this is, you know, I think there's there's um, these studies that are showing that people tend to be listening to them while they're doing dishes or while they're um, going for a walk. Uh, should people who are listening to this while they're driving feel guilty? 
Well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> listening, <laughs> listening, and listening to this podcast is probably cognitively more challenging than listening to like Yanni or something. But uh, you know, at, at, at least, it, at least it doesn't require you to respond, right? So I'm not like asking the viewer like you know a question yeah. that they have to answer. If they tune out for a minute or two, it no, you know, there's no social cost there, right? Right. Um, and I, you know, I have to say, I listen to books and podcasts in the car just because I find driving incredibly boring. Like, I, I find driving so boring that I feel like I need the stimulation uh, just, and, and, and I acknowledge it's probably making me a slightly worse driver, but to me, I, you know, it's just worth it. Yeah, but, but I think we I think we need to say like if the driving's getting hectic hectic if you're on the 401 somewhere and it's it's tense please shut the podcast off. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you can just shut it off now anyway cuz the episode is now over. This episode of Minding the Brain was edited by me, Mike Contos, and brought to you by the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences and the Faculty of Science at Carleton University. And made possible in part by our solar system's local star, the Sun, without which the Earth would become a lifeless ball of ice hurtling through the black depths of space forever. Theme music is plucked by Michael Terry. More episodes and show notes available at mindingthebrainpodcast.com.